There's an amazing story about a, a young man named John Paul and his friend Michelle. Uh, John Paul came from a, a tough life. His parents divorced. He was two. He was working by the age nine to help support family. He was put in foster care at one point, joined a gang, got in a lot of trouble. Uh, in high school, though, he met Michelle. She kind of was this good friend, and they got along very well. And one day they were kind of talking during class, and a teacher said to the rest of the class, do you see these two? Do not hang around them. They are not going to amount to anything. You know, John Paul, he worked through high school, then joined the Navy. Then he became a, a door-to-door salesman for encyclopedias, a very difficult job. Most people lasted three days. He did it for three and a half years. And, uh, you know, he did okay, but eventually he got into more financial problems than he could handle. He became homeless, had, had a child, said, I've got to turn this around. So he took what he learned about life from going door to door as a salesman and said, what if I could sell a product that people use every day and do that door to door? And so what he did is he began to sell soaps and shampoo door to door and did very, very well. Eventually started his own company. And John Paul, we know him today as John Paul Mitchell, a billionaire. He owns salons around the world. Michelle, his best friend, is Michelle Phillips. After high school, she was a part of the band Mamas and Papas, sold 40 million albums, and then she became an actress. John Paul Mitchell and Michelle Phillips then went back to their hometown to talk to that teacher to say, you should not tell anybody they won't amount to anything, but that teacher, he refused to talk to them. Again, about looking at life from a different lens, a lens of possibility, rather than so many who have a lens of limitation. And maybe you've had somebody put a, a limitation on you and maybe they said something in your past and it's kind of held you back. Or maybe you get caught up in anxieties and fears like so many do. You know, John Templeton showed the difference that fear makes when so many people make decisions in fear and they're always wrong. You know, when everybody else after World War II was talking about the, the stock market crash and the Great Depression, Templeton, instead of fear, said, I'm going to invest my money. And he bought a bunch of stocks that were a dollar. And people said, that's crazy. But then he did very well. And then he took that money and did something that people said was even crazier. After the war ended, he invested money in Japan. People said, Japan will never come back. Of course, Japan now is, is this wealthy nation and Templeton from his investments, choosing not from fear, but studying outcomes, became this multimillionaire and then spent his life giving his money to people that wanted to change the world. Again, not making decisions from limitations, not making decisions from fear, but rather from a sense of possibility and faith. Psalm 105, verse 17, one of those verses just to, to know uh, again and memorize Psalm 105, 17. Here David is talking about the entire sense of the Old Testament, especially going through Genesis. And, and you think about Genesis and in the Exodus, the, the children of Israel delivered out of Egypt. And David says this, Psalm 105, 17, God sent a man before them, Joseph, sold for a servant. 
That statement there is true today as it ever was. God sent a man or God sent a woman. Whenever God is going to accomplish something, he uses people to cooperate with him to change the world. And he'll use our life circumstances to refine us. You know, it's part of his plan and his call. Times maybe we don't even understand. You know, take those times and let us see our need for him And when we step up and say, God, I'm ready, here I am, send me, he'll use you, he'll use me, he'll use anybody that is willing and available. God sent a man. How did he accomplish his purpose throughout Genesis and Exodus? He used people that are willing to be faithful. How's he going to make a difference today? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Same thing, he's going to use people that are available. As Spurgeon said about Joseph, his brethren sold him, but God sent him. So if you and I want to be sent, we need to be available and not caught up again in anxieties and fears and limitations and maybe things holding us back. You know, Rick Duncan, a great way to think about what does a spiritual healthy life look like? He says it it looks like Jesus' life displaying the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do you and I get more of that fruit? We spend more time with Jesus. We can simply stop and say, do I see those fruits in my life? If not, there are some adjustments that I need to make. And as we enter into this Lenten season, heading rapidly to Easter, this time of the year is to reflect, to repent, to recommit. And when you stop and you think about the impact you and I have on other people's lives, think about just for a moment, think about a forest, a great study by Lo Ponte. Think about a forest where trees, their roots, they interconnect. And there is a fungus that is present in these roots. And think about this. This fungus will link the roots of the trees even trees of different species. And so a whole forest could be linked together through this fungus. What does that mean? It means if one tree has access to water, another to nutrients, maybe another to sunlight, then the trees share that with one another. Incredible connection. And that's what the body of Christ is meant to do. You and I are meant to have a spiritual fitness that matters It interconnects with other lives and makes a difference to water those lives, bring light to those lives, to bring life to those lives. That's why the the famous study is such an important thing to understand. The the Jonathan Edwards study and the Max Juke study back in 1874. Both these men lived at the same time, had a lot of descendants. Think about the impact here. So Max Juke, he was an alcoholic. He had several children with several different women. They traced his family tree, 709 people. Here's what they found. 280 lived in poverty. 400 were physically wrecked, died young from sin and lifestyle choices. 140 criminals, 60 were thieves with an average of 12 years of criminal activity. Six were murderers. A second man that lived at that same time, again, the theologian and preacher, Jonathan Edwards. We've traced now 1,394 members of his family. 
Of these, 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, 100 professors, 62 physicians, 100 clergy, 60 authors, 75 Army and Navy officers, 80 worked in public office, three mayors, three governors, several congressmen, three senators, and Vice President Aaron Burr. The choices that pass down from generation to generation. And so today is about thinking about the choices that we can make. And when we read the New Testament, it's not something that is, you know, disassociated from life. They lived in a time period that was one of the most violent, filled with upheaval, political corruption of any year, of any century. What does Luke chapter 3 tell us? That Tiberius Caesar reigned when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. Well, think about that for a moment. This is the time period Tiberius Caesar, he reigned during the, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. But he was married to Agrippina, and when she displeased Tiberius, he exiled Agrippina, had two of her sons murdered, that left one son behind. Now you're 37 AD, just a few years after that first Easter. That son was Caligula. One of the most evil men in all of history. He demands to be worshipped as a god. He banishes and murders most of his family. Left alive for some reason, one uncle he liked. That uncle's name, Claudia. Claudius marries a, his niece and then adopts her son, who's known as the Beast in Scripture. That son, Nero, this antichrist figure, one of the most evil men in, in all of history, who enjoyed torturing and killing people for fun. And that's the life that was taking place in that first century when the apostles and Jesus were saying, be not afraid. Love your enemy. Be good and treat those well who, who persecute you. And it was during that first couple centuries that some things happened. Some of that persecution, again, many were martyred, many beaten, crippled, blinded. And some, to escape that, renounced their faith. They were known as the lapsi because they lapsed in their faith. And when the persecution ended, those same people that denied Jesus said, we want to come back to the church. There was a lot of controversy because there were those who did not deny Christ, known as the confessors. And as Paul said in Galatians 6, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And many bore the same marks of the beatings, of the nails, of the whip. Many had been just broken bones, blinded. And they didn't deny Christ. And you had these others that did, and they said when the persecution's over, they wanted to come back. And many did not want them to. And you and I have to stop and say, am I a, am I a lapsi? Am I a confessor? Maybe I need to rethink the choices that I've made. Proclaim like Ignatius, Jesus Christ, truly born, ate, drank, truly persecuted under Pilate, truly crucified, truly died. He was also truly raised from the dead. As I've said many, many times, it's one of the truest statements in psychology. If you're in your head, you're dead. Because the mind, it justifies self. The mind justifies lack. 
The mind justifies sin. The mind justifies, listen, if you had an argument with your spouse, you can relive and rethink in an instant many other times that they did something. In your head, you're dead. You'll never find answers there. That's where fear is. That's where the world is. You have to be in your heart. In your heart, it takes an average of three seconds, we're told, to determine if we like someone or not. Because you know in your heart. In fact, you ask women, most will tell you they knew within three minutes of meeting a man if that was someone that they should even consider to marry. So again, if it's in the heart, there's more answers there. The mind, again, will justify self. So what do you do in the heart? Well, we'll do that for a minute here. I can't just say get into your heart, you know, but one way we do that is through story. When we put ourselves in somebody else's life or see it from somebody else's standpoint. There's a beautiful story about a Special Olympics and nine children lined up to race a marathon. The gun goes off. The children run. When the child, one of the children, he falls down. And the child who's leading has Down syndrome. He turns and sees his friend on the ground. He stops and goes back. One by one, the rest of the kids do the same. They surround the child who's fallen down. They lift him up. They all hug. Then to a a standing ovation with the crowd, all nine of those kids, they lock arms and together they cross the finish line as one. You see, a story puts us into a different place. In your heads, you're dead, but in your mind, You'll justify self, but in the heart, in the heart, there's more answers. In that place, you can find that there's no more fear. And if you've been lapsed, maybe it's time to be a confessor knowing God sent a man. God sent a woman, and you might say, I want to be that man, that woman. So if you were to focus on what is right in front of you and ask yourself this moment, What am I afraid of? Just answer to yourself, what am I afraid of? And when you have that answer, then simply answer, if I weren't afraid, I would, and fill in the blank. What am I afraid of? And if I weren't afraid, then I would do what? So here's a simple exercise to to move from the From the head to the heart. Something Ernie Arnold shared, just thinking about with each breath we breathe in and we ask for one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And so take a few moments now and just breathe in love. Release hatred, malice, and sin. Breathe in joy and exhale sorrow, pain, anxiety. Breathe in peace and exhale hate, discord, frustration. Breathe in patience. Let go of indifference, intolerance. Breathe kindness. Let go of hostility and harshness. Breathe in goodness and exhale cruelty, evil. Breathe in faithfulness. Release falseness, disloyalty. 
Breathe in gentleness and exhale hardness and callousness. Breathe in self-control and let go of rashness and self-centeredness. Again, what am I afraid of? If I weren't afraid, then I would. God sent a man, and if you and I want to be that man or that woman that he sends, then it's time to make some new decisions and to rethink some things and to recommit some ways, repent where it needs to be. Think about the, the physical aspect that happens when something spiritually is wrong. It's, we're told here, a Wake Forest University School of Medicine study, they found that two hours after an angry outburst, your chance of having a heart attack doubles. Harvard University, they said simply recalling in your mind, reliving an angry experience, it'll take out your immune system for up to six hours. There's many studies that link depression with anger, especially in men. So ladies, I want you to especially listen to this next thing here because you'll understand men. If you're a father, you're a mother, you're a grandparent, you'll understand the importance here. This applies to men and women, boys and girls, but especially for men. Maybe if you're a guy, maybe you have this in yourself. I want you to ask yourself, do I want to bless somebody or do I want to wound somebody? You don't have to be a parent to make that decision. This is from Larry Crabb, one of the most successful counselors and authors Millions of books sold. He's got uh, many seminars. He's very well known. But he shared about something that happened with his father. I'll just read his words here and listen to what he says. My father was an emotionally alive but suppressed man. We loved each other but shared very few moments of real encounter. One time James Dobson interviewed us after we wrote a book together, God of My Father. In the interview, Dr. Dobson leaned toward my dad and warmly said, Mr. Crabb, you must be very proud of your son. I struggled to maintain my composure. My father had never put into words that he loved me or was proud of me. So I waited, not sure if I was stretched out on a guillotine or about to get a crown. My dad replied, we have to be careful to not get a big head. But yes, God has used Larry in a variety of ways. That was it. The blade dropped. It's been hard to get my head back in place. At that moment, I would have given anything to see my dad beam and say, Dr. Dobson, if I had my choice of any man in history, I'd have chosen Larry for my son. But he did not say that at all. Maybe you've suffered the wound like that. Bring it to the cross. And let Jesus bring healing to that. But each of us needs to stop and say, do I want to wound or do I want to bless? What choice will I make? When you take scripture like Jeremiah 15 that says, your words were found, I ate them. Your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. To spend more time just taking in his word to let it change our thinking, to hide it in our heart. So it's there in those times of need with that answer in that right moment. You know, Wayne Lobson said, Christians who neglect scripture deprive themselves of spiritual nourishment. They starve their faith. This is why some can be in church all their life and never develop 
a personal relationship with Christ. This is why some can be in church all their life and never have joy. This is why some can be in church all their life and never sell out to Christ. This is why some can be in church all their life and still can't get along with anybody. This is why some can be in church all their life and argue and fight. This is why some can be in church, have no peace and joy. This is why. God sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a servant. So here's a great question from Dean Graziosi. Imagine God saying to you, why are you not living up to your full potential? I gave you life. What is stopping you from being the best you? Now picture yourself answering. The reason, God, I'm not living up to my full potential is because, and fill in the blank. This time of year is about reflection, repentance, renewal, recommitments. Do I want to bless or curse? Am I a lapsi or a confessor? And if I really did answer and say, God, the reason I'm not living up to my full potential is because, how would that sound? So we close here. I'll give you something wonderful from Max Lucado. You can do this for the next 12 hours. I invite you to try to do it the rest of the week, but a beautiful thing as Lucado shares our final words as we close here this day. For the next 12 hours, I will be exposed to the day's demands. It's now that I must make a choice. Because of Calvary, I'm free to choose, and so I choose. I choose love. Today, I will love God and what God loves. I choose joy. I will invite my God to be the God of my circumstance. I choose peace. I will live forgiven. I will forgive so that I may live. I choose patience. I will overlook the inconveniences of the world. I choose kindness. I will be kind to the poor for they are alone, kind to the rich for they are afraid, and kind to the unkind for such is how God has treated me. I choose faithfulness. Today I will keep my promises. I choose gentleness. Nothing is won by force. I choose self-control. I will be impassioned only by my faith. I will be influenced only by God. I will be taught only by Christ. I choose love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To these I commit my day. If I succeed, I will give thanks. If I fail, I will seek His grace. And then when this day is done, I will place my head on my pillow and rest. In Jesus' name, amen.